0: I was sitting in Dr. Kines' class this morning, and that song really expresses what at least a lot of his lessons about. And I was reflecting upon that as Dennis was reading, and we were partaking together in worshiping God through giving. That if we really honestly believe that both in our heads and our hearts, we would walk in a humility that this world has not seen. I mean, there is only one who can save. And yet, somewhere our egos get in the road, don't they? And we try to be each other's saviors and we try to dictate the way it should go. And rather than just simply following the one who alone can save, amen? I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 20. We're beginning a series this morning of the Ten Commandments. And I want to spend some time this morning on the context. Context is important. And so often we take these 10 commandments and we pull them out of context but we have to look at why God established these 10 commands. Now one of the critical problems in our culture today is we do not know how to think well. We simply react. And of course we react based upon our own ego-centric perspectives. Here's what I see, here's what I think. And therefore, we interpret everything through our lens rather than the lens of what God is saying. When I was teaching business ethics, and that's a long God story how I got there when I was church playing in Canada at a place, Georgian College in Barrie, they had about 30,000 students across campuses. and, And I got to sit down and teach ethics to all the divisions. And of course, I start ethics class with Okay, who wants freedom? Everybody wants freedom. And we start breaking down what their definition of freedom was. And here's how every single class would define it, no matter who I taught. Here's what they say. Freedom is my choice to do what I want, when I want, how I want, and why I want. Now, I can guarantee you, if you go out anywhere, that is most typically what people Think freedom is. Now then I would say, okay, if that's true for you, that's true for everybody else. They said, absolutely. Then I would pick on a parent who had a child and said, okay, someone in your family thinks that it's really healthy for your child to have a sexual relationship with them. They go, oh, no, 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 that's not right. Oh, so freedom really isn't my choice to do what I want, when I want, how I want, why I want. And they said, well, yeah, there has to be some boundaries. And I said, who establishes the boundaries? Who says what is right and wrong? And they always say, well, usually, you know, like the government and our culture. And then I go back with an illustration like, well, in America we had slaves. Oh, no, 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 that's not right. And you keep pushing their logic down the road until ultimately they had to ask the question, where does this instinct like thou shall not commit murder come from? There has to be someone outside of ourselves because we don't get it right. Now, when you study culture, and because we believe in Genesis chapter 3 that we are all sinners, cultures systematically attempt to dismantle those instincts. It's one of the reasons why, and again, I'm not making a statement about this, but you take what happened in Baltimore, and whether it was a just or unjust situation, people choose to riot, loot. They beat people. They pull people out of stores, put them in the hospital. Of course, those things don't make the news. Some were killed. But of course, we do the same thing when our sporting team wins. Have you ever noticed that? We just find any reason to loot, steal, and mob. Now, we believe that these moral laws, these instincts, we believe that we are made in the image of God, and God established these instincts for our good. We believe that it's these laws that set us free from being enslaved. Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. It's part of what we call the Pentateuch. It's a book in five parts. That's what that means. And the context we got to look at how we get to chapter 20. And let me give you a very quick analysis, big picture of what this looks like. Genesis 3, sin entered the world. Before then, everything was great. Genesis 12, God chooses Abraham to be the witness nation. We know them as Israel. And he declares they will be a blessing throughout the world. Israel is God's witness nation. Amen? I was going to say, not America. Now, sometimes we act like it. But Israel is God's witness nation. Abraham has kids, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob had a lot of kids. He shows one of his sons favoritism. His name's Joseph. Jealousy among the family. They decided to kill him. Then one brother says, no, we shouldn't kill him. Let's sell him as a slave. And they sell their brother to some slave traders. While Joseph was far away from God's people, we note according to the story that he was not far away from God. And God uses Joseph through a number of really kind of weird circumstances to rise up to a prominent political position in Egypt. He was second in command. We would call that the vice president. Egypt was the prominent world power. And God threw a dream to the Pharaoh, and Joseph interprets, said there's going to be a season of plenty, there's going to be a season of famine. And so when everyone else was failing and falling off the economic cliff, Egypt was prospering because of Joseph, because God had placed him there. And so God uses this famine to reconcile Joseph's family, and they all move to Egypt. And at this point, there's hundreds, if not thousands. Thousands. Now, let's move to the future 440 years. They grew from thousands to millions. And there's a new pharaoh in town. And when you study the culture of Egypt, pharaohs believed that they were a god. This new pharaoh doesn't like Israel because why? It's getting very large. He sees them as a threat, so he enslaves them. And at this point in time, Israel's future had no hope had no vision, no freedom, no love, no grace. The only future they could see for their kids and their grandkids, they were slaves to a vicious dictator. So they cry out to Yahweh because they had no other alternative. And Yahweh hears and answers. And he calls Moses. And what does Moses do? He loses his temper and murders somebody. And then he runs. And he hides. And God calls him back, and he starts making all these excuses like, well, you know, God, I have a speech impediment. If you wanted me to speak for you, why did you give me this speech impediment? And really, when you look at the life of Joseph, he tried to find every reason not to follow God's calling. I mean, in some ways, we could say he was a coward. He really didn't want to do this. Now, in this story, we could sit there and say, well, why did God choose someone like Moses? if that was all his issues. I think one of the main reasons is this is a lesson for us. And here's the lesson. God can do extraordinary things through ordinary people. So see, if you disqualify yourself, if you have all these reasons about your history and your past, all these matters you took in your own hands, how you tried to be your own savior and couldn't be, you tried literally to help these people and you couldn't, they just kind of all go out the window if God calls you to speak. So God says to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Why? Because God wanted his people to go into the desert to worship him. Those were God's words. Now remember, Pharaohs thought they were gods. And no one tells a God what to do. And so scripture tells us that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Now later it says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart and But, you know, Pharaoh wanted to do what he wanted to do. And all that definition of freedom I put up there, that's how he lived. But, of course, if you thought you were God, you could live that way. But Pharaoh did not want the real God telling him what to do. So God allows this hardness to progress. And when you see the plagues, they're progressive plagues. Each grows in severity. And at the end of each, Pharaoh says, I will be my own God. Now, before we move on, you know, we often read these passages like this, and and we sit there and say, well, how could Pharaoh be so stupid? Here's the first confession we all need to make this morning. All of us have stupid seasons of hardness of hearts. Can I get an amen? Come on. God says no, we say yes. And we disagree, we disobey, we defy. We have all these reasons We have all this rationale, but there's always a cost. You know, the Puritans had an old saying. They said, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. So when we look at freedom, it's not our definition, but here's what God says freedom is. Freedom is not the ability to do what I want, and you can flesh all that out like the first definition. It is the ability to do what you were designed to do by God. In other words, you can choose to worship Yahweh, you can choose to worship the one God, or you can choose the plagues. If you want the multiple gods, you're gonna have the plagues. If you follow God and he wants to set you free, you're gonna go worship him and him alone. That's part of what we're gonna see in a moment, Ten Commandments. Now going back to the plagues, of course the final plague was the most horrific. It involved the firstborns. How many here are firstborn children in their family? Actually, firstborn sons. It wasn't daughters, it was sons. How many were firstborn sons? Raise your hand. Okay. If you lived back in Egypt this time, you would not be living. I'm a middle child, so I'm safe. But God made a provision. All died, all firstborns died, no matter what their age, except those who practice what we now call the Passover. The word "passover" means the wrath will pass over you. And so what he said was, I want you to gather your family. I want you to kill a sacrificial lamb. I want you to publicly paint the doorposts of your house with this blood, saying this house belongs to the Lord. Can you see how all this points to Jesus? We sang it this morning. He is the sacrificial lamb. Through repentance of our sin, God's judgment, our sin, he passes over us. The wages of sin is what? It's death. But God's wrath passes over us. Can you see that Christ is the better Moses? Can you see that he is the better Passover lamb? See, this whole story up is really pointing us to Jesus. What God would do someday through his firstborn son who died. But his death took care of all our sin. If we choose. So see, we choose to be set free, or we choose to live in Egypt as slaves. And we see this in the story. We see the Pharaoh finally letting Israel go, and they are free. But when you start reading the story up to Exodus 20, you realize they were not living free. They were living in adultery, they were stealing, they were lying, they were coveting, they were setting up false gods, you know, doing the whole goal melt it down. And they had been set free, but they were not living free. Does that sound familiar? Now later, they made choices. Live free in the promised land, or wander in the wilderness for 40 years in circles. And that's what they chose, to go around circles for 40 years. We must know this context before we can make sense out of these Ten Commandments. Now, Exodus 20, let's look at the first two verses. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God is speaking, and we understand that it's a revelation of God about himself. And apart from this revelation, we know nothing. And this God is a personal God. He says, I am your God. The problem is slavery. The solution is God wants to set us free. But again, I'm going back to this perspective. How we view things will determine how we respond. You can look at the Ten Commandments and you can sit there in almost a political mindset and say, you know what? These are restrictive. They're prohibitive. And I'm not going to follow. But if you view these 10 commandments that were given from a loving father rather than a dictator, that God has given us these laws to live free, that he's been giving us these laws for our benefit, for our protection, for our provision, for our development. He's given these laws because he says, you know what, I've adopted you as sons and daughters. I love you. And these laws are for your good and for the good of others. I mean, think of a father who has a five-year-old. They don't let them take the car out for a drive. Why? Because they would get in an accident. They'd get killed, those kinds of things. And even though a 10-year-old might want to drive, it's still not safe. Think about a father of a 10-year-old. I mean, how many dads that, when their kids were 10 year old kicked them out of the house and said, you know what, it's time you go out and make it on your own. No, you you don't do that. But, you know, five-year-olds have particular boundaries. Ten-year-olds have particular boundaries. Sixteen-year-olds have different boundaries. Why? Because they are given by a loving father. So if you disconnect the law from the lawgiver, you miss the heart of the law. That's why when you read the New Testament, you have the Pharisees who loved the law, and they really did, but they didn't love the Lord they were disconnected from the lawgiver that's why today atheists they see the law as religious oppression rather than something that will benefit all of society even those who reject god so the first point this morning is make sure you remember the heart of the lawgiver god desires to set us free now in america we call ourselves the land of the free and tomorrow day is set aside to remember the lives of those who died for the freedom that we experience. We would do well to keep in front and center the Christ who died for our freedom. And to live free instead of living in slaves. You know, Peter talks about this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. He says, and he's talking about other people outside of Christ. They're religious, but it says they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. See, they disconnected the law from the lawgiver. But note the next phrase. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Now, we don't use this slave language today. Instead, we use what we call psychiatric terms. We use words like Addictions. Addiction simply means that you are a slave too. Now, we can be addicted to anything. We can be addicted to reputation. You're enslaved by people's opinions about you. We can be in- addicted to beauty. We're enslaved to body image. We can be addicted to gossip, enslaved to information and misinformation. We can be addicted to income. Never enough, more and more. We can be addicted to fear, and we build all these walls and we hide. And God says, you are free to choose your master. That is true for every single person here this morning. And if you break God's law, what we have to understand is you break his heart. Did you hear what I said there? If you break God's law, you break his heart. If you choose to sin, you will suffer because you will not be free. If you choose to sin, you're going to be stuck walking in the wilderness for forty years. And I can imagine if you talked to people in Israel for those forty years, they said, "Well, we had to make the right choice because look, God's still with us. He leads us every day. He leads us every night. Our clothes doesn't wear out. Man, He gave us manna and quail. Even though the the two predominant words during those forty years, you know what they were? Murmur, complain, murmur, complain, murmur, complain. Does that sound familiar? Just because God has not abandoned you does not mean that you're not enslaved. So these 10 commandments comes from the heart of a loving father. He desires for his people to live free. And freedom is not the ability to do what I want. It is the ability to do what you were designed to do by God. Now, these 10 commandments, the order is significant. They build on each other. I know those people in Recovery Discovery follow what's called a 12-step program. And in that 12-step program, the order matters. You do this, then you do this, then you do this, then you do this. In the Ten Commandments, you call this a 10-step program. If you want to get number two right, you got to get number one right. And if you want to get number three right, you got to get number one and two and so on and so forth. There's some things we have to get right first. You'll note as we go through these, the first four deal with our relationship with God. The next six deal with our relationship with each other and our neighbors. And I still remember the time when Jesus was confronted by the lawyer, someone who loved the law but didn't love the Lord. And he says, okay, what is the big commandment? Remember what he said? Love God and love your neighbors as you love yourself. That is the summation of the 10 commandments. And again, the order is significant. You can't do the one without the other. So here's the first command. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, you know that Scripture was written in Hebrew. I know sometimes we think it was written in English or even King James English, but it was written in Hebrew. What does this mean in Hebrew? It means you shall have no other gods before me. I mean, it's pretty simple, isn't it? First things first, you are not God. You are not the center of your universe. You are not the most important person. And the number one reason why so many people are miserable is because they're following other gods to save them. And the number one sin in the American church today is that we worship self. We make ourselves the center of the church. Now you heard me say this so many times, we gather here to worship to an audience of one. That's an old phrase from the 1500s. And we are good to remember that. We are made to worship him. When he set Israel free, they were called to go into the desert to worship him. And what they do? Well, everything but that. It's not about you. It's not about me. Now, over the last three decades of ministry, I'm working in my fourth. Across all genres of age doesn't matter. It's young people, it's older people, it's people my age. Here's what I hear. If I can't have my music, then I can't worship. I need my music to make me feel good. You know what the last phrase? Then they say things like this. Pastor, preach so I feel good about me. Please don't offend me. Do you know how many times I got accused down through the years of picking on people? Now, it's never happened here, okay? I realize I've only been here about a year, so I'm sure it's going to happen. And you know when i got to tell you something. You're going to give yourself away because when you walk out through the door and say, Pastor, you know, you picked on me this morning. I'm upset. I sit there and say, okay, first of all, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea what happened this week. But you are really making me curious. So I'm gonna go back through my notes and try to figure out what was going on. I mean, could it be, could it be that the Spirit of God is trying to say something to you? I remember one time I sat down with a person and we fleshed it out what he thought I was preaching against him that morning. And I looked at him and said, Do you realize I didn't say anything about that this morning? He says, yes, you did. I said, No, I, didn't. I said, let's listen to the tape. That's back when we had cassette tapes. <laughs> How many people remember those, Yeah, And we listened to it, and it wasn't there. And then he looked at me and says, well, you thought it. I'm like, oh, wow. (laughs) You know, God's trying to speak to him. God spoke to him, and, you know, here we go. Let me say it this way. God refuses to be at the top of your so-called priority list, okay? He doesn't want to be priority number one. He demands to be at the center of our lives. And there's a very big difference between the two. God desires to be integrated into every area of your life. Why? To live free. So God says, let's talk about it. Let's talk about your home. Let's talk about your sexuality. Let's talk about your job. Let's talk about your education. Let's talk about your politics. Everything has to be connected to him. And Christ died. The firstborn died. He became the sacrificial lamb, the blood that's painted on our doorposts. Christ died so the church can live free. But so often the church chooses to live enslaved and it breaks his heart. Paul says it grieves his spirit. How many gods? One. You don't sound convinced. How many gods? What does it mean in Hebrew? One, you learned a Hebrew lesson this morning. You know, the Bible has all these stories about false gods, and they're called Baal and Molech and Asherah and Ishtar. And in America, we sit back and we practice what C.S. Lewis calls biblical snobbery. You know what that is? We sit there and say, well, you know, I don't have any little statues with weird names. And so I don't worship any gods. And then we thank God that I'm not like those people, and we say praise to Jesus. I just, you know. We live in a land of idols, the three predominant ones. Richard Foster wrote about them in the 80s. Tim Keller wrote about them in the 2000s. The three predominant idols, and we're going to talk about this next week, is power, it's sex, and it's money. Most of our idol worship, most of our distractions, most of what we are enslaved to hits those three categories our pride, our sexuality, and our money. And we take our version of success and Satan rebrands it. It's not called Molech and it's not called Asherah or Ishtar. Ishtar was one of those sex goddesses. And just see what it sounds like Ishtar, Easter. I mean, that's where the word Easter comes from. It's the name of a false God. I'm not making any implications about the name Easter, okay? I'm just saying that our history comes out of other people's histories. There's one God in Him alone. Let me give two analogies. First is about marriage, marriage is a covenant relationship, it's about loving and fidelity. And let's say that, uh, man, you marry your sweetheart and one day she comes home and says, you know, I want to add another man to our marriage. What do you say? Now, if you're a jealous husband, if you said, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, when we stood before God and our friends, I thought that was an exclusive love. No, no, no other men. And then she comes back and says, well, you know, if you really love me, and if you love me, then you'll give me what I want. And you say, no, you do this, and you'll hurt our relationship. You're going to hurt me. Now, here's the second analogy. You know, the church is called what? The bride of Christ. He's the groom. Another way of saying is we're married. And we could not have a more perfect husband. And Christ is saying, you know, I married you and you don't get to run around with anyone else. And he says, I'm not going to share you. And I'm not going to allow anything that will enslave you. You know, so much of the Old Testament language, I don't know if you noticed it, talks about Israel committing adultery with God. He uses that phrase over and over. I encourage you to do a word study sometime on that. If you look it up, it's just there. The book of Hosea is written entirely about that. So, who is your God this morning? And is it one God? The most important decision you'll ever make is who do you worship? And understand, if you give your heart to another, it will harden. And just like Egypt, you will be miserable. And just like Israel, who hardened their hearts towards Yahweh and refused to go into the promised land, their life was murmuring, complaining, murmuring, complaining, murmuring, complaining. So, you know, if that's your routine, you kind of go back and ask yourself, who have I enslaved myself to? Then I'm going around circles in the wilderness, blaming someone else for all my misery. The Ten Commandments is about living free or being enslaved. Of course, the large question is, why do people who are set free not live free? And that's a question for us as a church. But do you know Jesus? Do you understand that he sets you free? And if you're not free, he can he wants to deliver you out of your Egypt. And for those that know Jesus, why are you still having all these little gods around? And again, you don't call Molech and Baal and you know, have little statues, but you give your heart over to them, and it makes you absolutely miserable because you say, if I could get my way, then I would be happy. And every time you get your way, what happens? Just like a fix. You need something more and more. It's never never, never enough. And think about the hypocrisy on our part saying that Christ is not enough. I mean, he is all that we need. Are you living free or living in rebellion pursuing false gods of this world? How many gods? One. I'm gonna invite the band to come up because we're gonna close with a song called In Christ Alone. And as we do that, I wanna pray for you and I wanna pray for you in two ways because... The choices this morning are very simple. One is if you never accepted Christ, you got to do it now. It's the only way to find freedom. It's the only way to get rid of the sin. And the second choice is, okay, if you accepted Christ, you got to clean out the closet of idols, the ones we hold in our heads and our hearts. So I'm going to ask you to kind of bow your heads. I'm going to pray for you in a moment. Is there someone here that would like to make that decision for Christ? Raise your hand we're going to find someone with you. And if I don't happen to see you, please come down and get me afterwards like a young man did last week. That was cool. Anyone like to say, okay, you know what? I've had enough. I've had enough hardening my heart. and I want to give over to the one God. How many would like to be free that have already accepted Christ and they just said, you know what? I've been following a bunch of false gods and I need help. Uh, Just raise your hand on that one. I want to pray for you. Okay, I see those hands. Yeah, all over the place. Father, forgive us because we make something rather simple pretty difficult. We end up messing our lives up because we think we know better what to do than simply follow you who is our Savior, who is our Rescuer, who is our Moses, who is our Sacrificial Lamb. And you want us to live free. I mean, that is your heart. And it breaks your heart every time we just simply go back into slavery. May your spirit do what's necessary. I pray for these that raised their hands. Help them see the idols they've submitted to. Help them with the path to get away. And for all of us, Lord. Lord. May we be grace givers. May we be love givers. May we be showing people the path of freedom and not helping them to live enslaved. Thank you for a way out of uh, our addiction. All the things of this world. But you alone are worthy. And in the name of your son Jesus Christ, we alone, who alone is worthy, we give you all our praise. And everybody said, amen. amen.